The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I want to begin uh, now by inviting you to open God's Word, but not to Matthew chapter 5. I'm I'm doing something this morning that I've only done one other time in eight years of pastoral ministry, which is to effectively call an audible at the end of the week and change the direction entirely of what we're doing in church. We've only done this one other time, Uh, but I'd like to invite you to take your hand and open up God's Word with me to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. So wherever you are, grab a Bible and let's open together to Psalm 62. It's on page 479 of a pew Bible. If you need one, there's one there in the pew rack in front of you. Psalm 62 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Like I said, I've only done this one other time and I'm hesitant to do so uh, because of my commitment, our commitment in this church to continuous expositional preaching. And we are in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 5 and we are going to return to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, Lord willing, next week. Uh, But I do this not so much Uh, because of a greater commitment to continuous expositional preaching, but out of a greater pastoral concern uh, amidst, of course, all that's going on. Uh, So if you're in Psalm 62, uh, let me pray, and then we will hear God's word together. Father, with your word open before us, we, we say how deeply we need to hear your word today. But Lord, this day is... Not unlike any other day in the sense that we always need to hear your word. But especially on the Lord's day when your people gather together, when our attention is directed towards your revealed will in scripture, Father, I pray that you would unite us together as your people, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds, that we might understand what you have written, that you would illuminate our hearts to give obedience and faith to your word, Lord, that you would make us a willing people. And so, Father, where in this day we hear so many people's opinions, so many people's voices, so many directives, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your word as it reigns over all thoughts or opinions of mere mortals. And so, Lord, speak your word to us this morning and give us ears to hear it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And now hear God's word from Psalm 62. This is the word of God. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. 
God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever, and so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts today, and I invite you to keep your Bible open in Psalm 62. We are especially going to be looking in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 is where we're going to be at this morning. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8, and uh, I'll explain about that in just a moment. But one of my good friends recently pointed out that one of the problems of living in a a rapid information age, one of the problems of living in post-modernity is that uh, everyone pretends to be an expert. Everybody pretends to have expertise that they do not have and they attempt to speak authoritatively on matters for which they have no authority to do so. I am not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a public policy expert, I have a sociology minor. I don't have any interest in those things. So I want us to hear from God's word to speak to us as his people in a time when it seems people are very much unnerved, unhinged, and very much fearful. What should the church be saying in a day like this? What should the church's message be? What should our disposition as neighbors be? What is, what is the mentality that we ought to have? How does God's word speak into our day? And in one sense, I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to do this because I'm not trying to further sensationalize the time that we're in. But I want to bring, hopefully, Lord willing, some reasonable and biblical thoughts to application and to bear upon our minds. Again, as we seek to be good neighbors, good employees, good friends, good family members in a time when people are rapidly concerned about many, many different things. And so we turn to Psalm 62 as a testimony from David. David, who was a man who was always... Uh, feeling a temptation to place his hope in things other than his God. David was always tempted to place his hope in his ability to win a victory by the strength of his own might, to lead the people of Israel as king with his own wisdom and to go about his life on his own agenda. And David was, in that sense, much like all of us who are constantly facing the temptation to live according to our own wisdom, to press on in our own strength and our own cunning insights and all the rest. But in Psalm 62, David is reminding himself. David is speaking to his own soul about truth that he needs to not only believe, but cling to. Not only believe, but cling to, because one of the things that I'm thankful for in moments and uh, seasons like this is that we find a little bit of a curtain being pulled back to reveal where our hope and trust really is. And so in Psalm 62, I believe that God is inviting us 
to consider the various ways in which we have laid our hope in, put our trust in, or banked on something within ourself or something in humanity or people that we have built and staked our hopes upon, see it, confess it, and then turn to say with David in verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I want to speak to us as those who are tempted to think there are other things that promise salvation to us, other idols, other false pretenses. We do not want to put our hope there. We want to provide in these days a very clear testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to solidify that and strengthen the hope that we have in God's name. So I want us to do two things in Psalm 62 this morning. First of all, I want us to remember the promise of the gospel for us, to remember the promise of the gospel for us, and then secondly, I want us to affirm God's fatherly care over his people. I want us to remember the promises of the gospel, and I want us to affirm God's fatherly care for his people. Because I hope you understand that these things are oftentimes either taken for granted or people are totally ignorant of these realities. So we need to hear them and know them, believe them, and live according to them. So first of all, let us remember the promises of the gospel. As we look again in Psalm 62 and verses 5, 6, and 7, we are being called. David is calling his soul to wait and to believe and to realize certain realities. Again, Psalm 62 verse 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. My hope is from him. Let me begin with uh, perhaps the most sobering of thoughts and then work outwardly from there. Okay, let's deal with some sober realities. The coronavirus has triggered our inherently ingrained fear of our own mortality. Now, maybe you were aware of that before coronavirus of your own mortality but especially it is quite apparent that people are being seemingly shaken to the realization of their own mortality it is a reminder that we are all going to die pastorally hear me say that to you we are all going to die and so panic buying restores that sense of control over death temporarily alleviating those deep-seated fears of our own fragile mortality But that is not the way to face the reality of mortality. Fear triggers something in us that is so natural because we were made to live and death is not natural. Death is an invader to God's good creation and so its presence unnerves us and we need to figure out where are we going to go with that fear. Death invades, viruses invades, but they are a reality. So fill in the blank with whatever you want. It just so happens that in this season, it's something that we're calling novel coronavirus, but it could be brush fires, floods, plagues of locusts. All these things are but reminders that we live in a fallen world, a broken world, and we are dying people, and we need to find an answer to the question, where is my hope? Where is my peace? Where is my comfort and security? And notice, the abundance of language David is using in Psalm 62. He is claiming for himself the reality that God is my hope, verse 5. 
For God alone on my soul wait in silence. My hope is from him. There are other people who will put their hope in other things and other places. He says God is my hope. He further uh, brings this home to his own heart in verse 6. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. In verse 7, he's a mighty rock, not just a rock. My salvation, my fortress, my glory, my refuge. See how often David is saying, this is mine, it belongs to me. It is my sincere, heartfelt conviction that this is true. God is my hope. And we as Christian believers must say with David that this is also true of us as we remember the promises of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for sins, sacrificing a life of perfect righteousness in exchange for our disobedience and unrighteousness. Jesus Christ was buried and three days later arose in victorious resurrection, declaring triumphant resurrection over all things and ascending into heaven where he reigns over all things, all people, all places, all nations, Death has been defeated in Jesus' name and the gospel says to you, Christian believer, you have no reason to fear anything because of Jesus Christ. That the reality of his resurrection means that the last enemy, Paul says in Romans, has been defeated. The last thing that could claim you has been already defeated. Promises the gospel say to the Christian believer, death has no power over you. But why this, why this fear then that's still mingled in our hearts? Why this, why this panic? First, remember the promises of the gospel. David says that God is my hope, my rock, my mighty rock, my salvation, my fortress, my glory, my refuge. And he is yours if you are in Christ. Remember the promises of the gospel. And then also remember, verse 8, that living in the reality of the promises of the gospel are to call forth from you regular and daily trust and peace and hope. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That God, through his fatherly care, protects, loves, and watches over his people. And the response to that is a call to us to trust at all times in verse 8. Now again, fear, fear is normal to humanity. I think it's totally natural even for you and I as Christian believers to be anxious. But there is an anxiousness that drives against the call to trust. There is an anxiousness that works against the call to faith. So what do we do? David says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him before God is a refuge for us. It doesn't do any good to say to your anxiety, stop being so anxious. Stop it. It doesn't help when we are afraid to simply say, stop being afraid. So what, 
what is the answer and what do we do? We don't combat anxiety and fear and all these things by saying simply stop it. We must lead our anxious thoughts and we must lead our fearful hearts to the God who is greater than our fears and to the God who is greater than all of our anxieties and there to cast them upon him, as David says in verse 8, pour out your heart before him. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm not sure what you're afraid of. I'm not sure where you are on the spectrum of thinking this is all conspiracy theory to absolute unrest. I don't know where you're at in that spectrum. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. What matters is that wherever you are, whatever you fear, whatever you're anxious about today, and can we just be real that many of us were anxious long before we even knew of a thing called coronavirus. We were anxious about our children. We were anxious about our grandchildren. We were anxious about our jobs. We were anxious about our marriages. We were fearful about our futures. But regardless of the day and regardless of the trouble, the Bible says to us, our God remains the same and calls you to pour out your heart to him and give him your trust because God is a refuge for us. He is a place of rest. Jesus is constantly saying in the New Testament, do not be afraid. Not because there's not a reason to be afraid, but because in the midst of the things that cause us fear, Jesus is greater than the fears. He's greater than the anxieties, which is why he says, for example, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. David calls upon the people of God to pour out their hearts to this one true and living God because there is no other place of absolute refuge. There's not enough surgical masks. There's not enough Purell. There's not enough toilet paper, apparently, either. There's not enough of all of these things to put your hope in. Which is why we say the one true and ever-living, eternal, unchanging God is a refuge for his people. That all things are in the hands of Almighty God. And as a result, we have a faith that carries us in the midst of fears. Now, this was circulating around a, a while ago, last couple days, and uh, I even saw one of, one of my friends uh, shared it, words from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writing 72 years ago about the threat of nuclear warfare. There's always something to fear. But C.S. Lewis writes this in the context of fearfulness about what is coming. He wrote, If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it finds, when it comes, find us doing something sensible in human things. Let it find us praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. We're not to surrender ourselves to fearfulness and cowardice hiding together. So what is, what is your reaction to, the, to Christ? It's easy to be gripped by fear. It's easy to do so. It's easy to see coronavirus everywhere. 
It's on the handles, it's on this, it's on that. That doesn't mean you don't take sensible precautions, of course, but are we panicking in a way that leads us to fear? Fear is something no mask can filter, no hand washing or hand wringing can erase, no drug can destroy, no isolation protect, doctor verify, or government immobilize. But God says, I am your hope. And he says to you in verse 8, trust in me at all times. Pour out your heart before me. I am a refuge for you. So one of the things that's been filling my mind these days is words that I usually use in the context. Here we go again with the somewhat morbidity. Only at funeral services. Heidelberg Catechism question one. Beautiful words. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Heidelberg one asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? And answers this that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And that's what I've tried to commit to memory because it takes me about 20 seconds to recite that as I wash my hands. And apparently, singing the happy birthday song also is good to do twice for 20 seconds, but I would rather say that. This is the opportunity that the church has in this age to reaffirm its faith and to be sincere about its commitment. And so as we see the call to remember the promises of the gospel and to rest in God's fatherly care, we are preaching this gospel to ourselves that we might believe it, that we might sincerely live in it, and so that it might be good for our neighbor. And so just as a final word, please consider some things, will you? Because the church has a great opportunity in these days to be good neighbors to be sincere witnesses for the Christian faith I want to encourage you to see this as an opportunity for the gospel what are you communicating to your neighbor what are you communicating to your friends what are you communicating to your co-workers when everybody else is thinking in terms of self-preservation What does unselfishness look like in the name of Jesus? What does unselfishness look like in the name of Jesus? Not just self-preservation. Maybe you'd be willing to make a phone call to someone who you know is intentionally self-quarantining because you're going to go to the store and you're willing to pick something up for them in Jesus' name. That's a good thing. Maybe you'd be willing to check on somebody else who is immunocompromised or you know that there is some concern. Hear very clearly a directive, I think, that we should experience. And this is the word that I learned this past week, that we should, as Christian people, avoid trauma bonding. Never knew that word before. Unfortunately, it's often used in contexts of shared abuse, where abuse victims bond over the trauma that they've experienced. But you know what's happening You can't go anywhere without people talking about this ad nauseum. People are trauma bonding over coronavirus. They're trauma bonding over their experiences at Costco. 
They're trauma bonding over school being canceled and work being, you know, all these different things. And you and I as Christian believers have the opportunity to speak in the midst of trauma bonding, not of a shared experience of fearfulness, but of the hope we have in Jesus' name. And the fact that in the midst of fear, we have hope. And I want to call upon us as Christian believers to do that. Not to join in when it's easy to speak about hectic chaos and all the rest, but to speak the hope that you have in Jesus' name. We have this opportunity to impress the sincerity of our Christian faith. And so, people of God, God is a rock for us. When people are clinging to things and trying to stabilize their life by stuff and things and hopes and even invisible things that don't even really provide hope, we have the one true and living God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is resurrected and reigning from heaven to seal our hopes, rest upon it, and then wait in silence for this faithful God who promises to deliver. Let us pray. Oh God, we confess that we are in days that people are fearful, and yet, Lord, your word calls us to trust, and so we pray that you would direct us by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would lead us to the rock that is higher than ourselves, that we might rest and trust. And so, Father, we pray your mercy upon us, but we pray most of all that you would seal our hearts to your Son in union with Christ today, and in him find great hope. And so, Lord, seal this word to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.